the breathing in. In that liminal space where you hold. And in that great exhale. All of life, from that first breath, followed by a, a loud cry, to that last breath, followed by a cry as well, though not your own. All of life, the breathing in and the breathing out, it's all right there. Whether we're attentive to it in the moment or not, whether that breath comes easy on that day or it's labored, all of life is right there. Today, we're going to pay attention to Jesus' breath, the exhale of Christ, and the inhale of the Spirit. exhale and the inhale. And we're going to do so through a theological term called spirit Christology. And just to make it plain for you, uh, spirit Christology is this theology envisioning the constitution and mission of the person of Christ in terms that establish an interrelationship between the philological and the pneumatological dimensions of Christology. <clears throat> Clear as mud to me. Listen, I spent most of my seminary times going, can you say that again? But like this time for somebody from Arkansas, um, I, I would read the same paragraph in that same seat in the same library over and over and over again, and I just do not get it. Until finally, he's like, oh, okay. What you're talking about is a Jesus who decided not to hold on to his divinity and to live his life instead fully by the Spirit. The Spirit Christology is a Christ-centered life that lives life by the Spirit. And so today, we're going to look at the one who the writer of Hebrews calls the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. What did you pioneer and perfect? Not just a faith, but a faithfulness. And so we fix our eyes on this Jesus to see truly what life can look like in the fullness of our humanity if that humanity is fully moved by the Spirit. Jesus gives us a glimpse of what our humanness can be if the Spirit is what flows inside of there. And so we'll pay attention to the exhale, where Jesus exhales his divinity. And we'll pay attention to the inhale, where Jesus breathes in that Spirit. And I hope through this that you're paying attention to your own breath as well. Your own invitations to breathe out your own hold on your own divinity. And breathe in instead a life by the Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you move among us? Would you sing to us in the places where we need to be reminded of rhythm and melody? Would you hold us tenderly in the places where our bodies are weary, where our souls do not hold strength today, where our minds are tired, where our hearts are weak? Holy Spirit, would you do some holy CPR and resuscitate? Breathe life 
back into our weary bodies and bones today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. We're going to begin with what I call the great exhale. And I say in Philippians 2, the language is not of breath that the Apostle Paul uses, but he gives us a glimpse of what I'm talking about, where Jesus lays down his grasp, his hold on divinity. And you got to know the context that Paul's writing to in Philippians 2 is a relational context. The song that comes is called the Christ hymn, and it's believed that over the years, this was a song that rose up in the church. So it's not just pretty scripture. These are songs that had melody and notes attached that you could hear what it sounds like when the church mothers would sing that Christ hymn over and over and over again. And it's a relational song. And so when we think about Jesus letting go of his divinity, it's not an isolation. The Apostle Paul wants to know this, that, that Jesus existed in relationship. And so when we look to how Jesus existed in relationship, that should inform how we operate in relationship as well. So the Apostle Paul says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Have the mind of Christ in this way. Philippians 2, verse 6. This Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. I call this the great exhale, that this Jesus, who being in his very body and bones, was God, born of a virgin, moved by the Spirit, the Son of God, being in the build, the body, the Spirit, the eternal existence of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, something to be used to his own privilege, something to be exploited, something to be grasped and to hold on to. Instead, verse 7, rather he made himself nothing. The, the language there for this making yourself nothing is kenosis in the Greek. It's an emptying word. And so much of religion, even across the globe, is an emptying religion. It's a how empty can you make yourself be? How much can you empty what's in here and lay it on the ground so that you would be an empty vessel inside? That Jesus kenosis. I don't think that's the right way to say that, but roll with me. That Jesus in his kenosis would empty himself, would make himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. Jesus bears humanity. And to fully do so, to fully give us a glimpse of what humanity looks like, Spirit Christology affirms this idea, this theological possibility and truth that perhaps what they're talking about when they say this is that he emptied himself of his divinity and instead chose to live his life as one filled by the spirit. This language of kenosis and empty though, uh, for me it, it almost sounds like something is missing in there that still needs to be there. The emptiness just it just sounds isolated and alone to me and so I love how theologian Lucy Pepiat talks about it. She says, the, the language may be empty, but the way that I think about it is instead divine hospitality. Don't you love that? It's not just an emptying. It's a divine hospitality. It's not that you walk into a house and you go, there is no furniture in here. Does anybody live here? 
It's that you walk in a house and space has been made for you in that house. And so she talks about it as divine hospitality because Jesus is making space for the spirit. It's not that there's nothing in there. It's that Jesus has intentionally rearranged the furniture, not to have a crowded house. But so when the spirit walks inside, the spirit says, I can make home right here. You have set up space for me to live, abide, and dwell within you in a divine hospitality. So we think about this great exhale. I want us to imagine that Jesus would breathe out his hold on divinity and just sit in the exhale for just a moment. Because if we sit in the exhale of Jesus' divinity, then we can sit with the truth that he could have lived fully in his divinity. We can see Jesus there in the Garden of Gethsemane. As the apostle Peter is ready to lop a dude's ear off, and his guards are closing in on Jesus, and they're trying to lay claim to lordship and authority. And our Jesus can say right back, do you not know that I could call right now and a dozen legions of angels would show up on the scene? I have the access to the fullness of the divinity. I'm just choosing to exhale and not grab a hold of it because I want to show you another way. I want to show you a way of what it looks like to exhale that grasp of power and to instead rely on a different power. And so to live into that exhale, that this is a Jesus who would carry that kenosis all the way to the cross to make space even on that wood for the spirit to show up even there. Mark 15 tells us that it is there that this Jesus would breathe his last. That there at the cross, Jesus carried the fullness of living life and his humanity in such a way that even at the end, the last thing we see in Jesus' life is an exhale. He breathes it out all the way to the end. And at that space in the story, you're held in that liminal ground where you haven't inhaled new life yet. It's that pause of the exhale. It's that space where the tomb is not empty yet. It's still full. It's that silent space before you can breathe in spirit where it feels like that pause is not a pregnant pause. It's an empty pause. It's will something come in return as we give up breath and exhale? It's that space where uncertainty swirls supreme. Because we don't know the life that will return to us as we exhale. As Jesus breathes his last upon the cross, the story doesn't stop there. The story doesn't stop in the exhale. Jesus will end with an exhale only to begin again with breath once more. Oh, I wish I could have been there at the tomb. 
to see what that body looked like as life filled in his lungs again. Did he cry? Did he sing? Did he dance? Did he shout? Did he let out a few profanities that he'd been holding on to for a while when no one else was around? Did he say, thank God. In that place that Jesus inhales, have you ever noticed the power of the inhale? And not just the power of the inhale of Jesus in a tomb that will soon be empty, but the power of an inhale throughout the whole life and ministry of Jesus. Have you ever noticed how scripture centers the movement of the spirit throughout the whole life of Jesus? Have you ever noticed that Jesus lived a spirit-filled life from beginning to end to resurrection to beyond? Have you ever noticed that Jesus there at birth, Jesus there at baptism, Jesus at the testing, Jesus at the anointing, Jesus from a life full of ministry, Jesus as he's tested upon the cross, Jesus as he comes back into resurrection, all of it is spirit-centered. All of it is lived in a inhale of the spirit. Go there to Luke chapter 1, verse 35, Jesus is birth, even the conception, the Spirit would come upon Mary so that there would be this birth born of a virgin, moved by the Spirit of the living God. Go to the baptism where a dove comes down in the form of the Holy Spirit to rest upon this Jesus, to say even at your baptism, this will be a move of the Spirit. Go to that place of testing. That place where Jesus doesn't just wander into the wilderness. Have you looked at the scriptures? Have you seen how Jesus enters into that confrontation with the crafty serpent? It says the spirit led him out into the wilderness. But the spirit did not lead him and then leave him. It says the Spirit would lead him into the wilderness, and then the Spirit said, I will go with you into the wilderness. So if you think Jesus was fighting the devil by himself out in the wilderness, what was that wisdom? How did he keep holding on to Scripture? How did he know what to say when he was faced with the worst of all of it? It's because the Spirit didn't just lead him and leave him. No, he was... Inhaling the spirit through the worst of it. Go to his anointing where Jesus would stand up there in the temple with the ability of all eyes looking on him, wondering what is this dude doing grabbing this scroll? And what in the world is he about to say? Jesus there in his hometown on the Sabbath day before the synagogue grabs the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, unrolls it, founds the place where it's written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the spirit of the Lord has anointed me. And what did the spirit anoint you to do, Jesus? To proclaim good news to the poor, to send me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is spirit-centered movement. The anointing upon Jesus was from the spirit to a life of ministry. You go look and it says, how did, how did these demons, how were they cast out? 
It's the spirit that moves upon Jesus to be able to move demons out. I think that's why Jesus can have confidence and say, yeah, go two by two. Two by two, plant churches. How are you going to do it? By the spirit. Two by two, how are you going to do the work? Oh, you come back. Oh, the waters were wavy and you woke up and you weren't sure what to do. You have little faith. Why is my faith little? Because you have what I have. The Spirit will be with you. The Spirit will carry you. The Spirit who is there at Jesus as he offers himself on the cross. How could you sustain that only by the Spirit? And how could you be raised to new life? What, what power raised you to new life? Did you have that power within your own self? This is the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Is the same power that is available to us. It was a exhale of his divinity saying I'm not going to grab a hold of that power and lay claim to it I'm going to be naked in my humanity and in the breath of the spirit will I be able to carry out life love and justice now as a church our vision statement says we are a beloved community moved by the spirit to follow the life love and justice of Jesus that's not cute language if you don't know the story of how vision language came for us as a church we didn't have it when we started the church you start a church with no vision? No, we had a heart. And we had people. We just trusted that God would speak through the people. And that God would speak through the spirit. And so as we began to write words, what's the first thing? We are a beloved community. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., we, we honor the good doctor's words with the beloved community. But we also honor the writer in 1 John 4, who says, I just want you to know the first thing is, is that God loved you first. And not just you individually, but you as a community. And so you're a beloved community. And you're a beloved community, and then how do you exist? You exist as ones who are moved by the Spirit. Well, why isn't Jesus there? Why isn't Jesus before the Spirit? How come the Jesus things comes after that? And I believe it's this, because Jesus lived a life moved by the Spirit. How do we follow Jesus? How do we follow Jesus' life, love, and justice? We do that. How Jesus did that, as those moved by the Spirit to follow the life, love, and justice of Jesus. We are a beloved community, moved by the Spirit, to then follow the life, love, and justice of Jesus. The Spirit moves us to be able to follow Jesus. Jesus lived a life filled by the inhale of the Spirit. The Spirit was the oxygen in Jesus' lungs. From the time he woke up to the time he would go to bed, the spirit pumped the blood through his veins. And if not for the spirit, Jesus' life would show us a life not only emptied of divinity, but also naked in humanity and without the movement of the spirit. So as you go back through all of those pieces, imagine Jesus' birth without the Spirit. What we would find is a migrant family crossing borders, rejected shelter. But only the Spirit could lead them into a place of rescue and salvation. If you go to Jesus' baptism, it would be a story of a man who was simply baptized by the baptizer, John the Baptist. Unless that dove fell. 
to go to Jesus's anointing. He would stand up among a group of people in a synagogue, unroll a scroll, read it, and then actually get thrown off the cliff and not spared. If you go to the testing, imagine walking in the wilderness without the spirit by your side. Imagine Jesus entering into the confrontation at the worst and at his weakest without the spirit sustaining him through. Picture a young Jesus who is not willing to be obedient to his mom when she said, there's more wine needed at this wedding. The time is now. Ahorita, go get the wine. If Jesus was not willing to be moved by the Spirit, there may have not been enough wine at that wedding. Imagine Jesus trudging to the cross without the Spirit to sustain him there. And imagine a tomb that is never empty, but forever remains full. That story that ends in an exhale would remain in that place without breath, if not for the Spirit. Were it not for the Spirit, Jesus' life would have ended in the nakedness of humanity, laid down of divinity, but never moved by the breath of life that not only resuscitates, but resurrects. If not for the Spirit, where would you be, church? Were it not for the Spirit, would there be breath in your lungs? Were it not for the Spirit, would there be power in your body? Would there be healing in your relationships? Would there be resurrection of hope once more? Were it not for the Spirit, would you be here today? And I don't just mean like cosmically here. I mean in this room here. Were it not for the Spirit, would you be here? Jesus lives the life of an exhale and an inhale of the Spirit. And I believe in so doing invites us to breathe in that same Spirit and to live our lives in such a way as well. There's this beautiful moment in John chapter 20. Jesus, the one who can be revived, be resuscitated, be resurrected by the movement of the Spirit, can now go revisit and reconcile with those that he loved. It says on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus would come and stand among them and say to them, peace be with you. John chapter 20, Jesus who moves through walls, shows them his hands and his side, and when the disciples saw the Lord, they are filled with joy. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. And as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. The one who had lived his life, filled by the life-giving breath of the Spirit, as he is resurrected, the first thing he does with his friends is he finds them. And he breathes on. I will get close and breathe on you, but I'm going to honor your personal space there. (laughs) Breathe. You already got the Holy Spirit, so you're you're good. He breathes on them, the Spirit. 
And I can't help but see this new creation, new resurrection, breath of the Spirit, without going all the way back in the story to Genesis chapter 2, of a God who saw a world in which humanity would be formed in God's likeness, to bear God's image. And as we were without form, our God gets down on hands and knees with dirt and mud and clay and then takes the lungs from his own chest, from her own chest, looks down upon this body of human. And what does our God do? And so a God from creation to new creation, from Genesis there to the resurrection, breathes life into our bodies. The spirit moves from the beginning of the story all the way to the resurrection and beyond. And we are invited to receive that breath. Jesus doesn't hoard and hold on to this breath but generously, joyfully, and sacrificially gives breath back to us. Now, this promise of the breath was also a promise of power. Jesus says to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And this Holy Spirit power will be a power that the Spirit uses to bring about a life of love, of justice, of mercy, of goodness, of sacrifice. You will do greater things than I did. How will we do greater things? Well, first of all, you're going to have what I have. You're going to live your life by the Spirit too. But not just you. All of you. Not just y'all. All y'all. You get the Spirit you get the Spirit, you get the Spirit, you get the Spirit. It is there for you. So the invitation is to breathe in and to breathe out. And it sounds simple and it sounds easy enough. But I want to finish with one last part. The exhale and the inhale sounds sweet. But I want to recognize that each time you exhale is a mini death. Each time you hold that space where you have breathed it all out, it is a deep trust that breath will be returned back to you. Every time you pour yourself out is a mini death. Every time you generously, graciously, sacrificially, painfully forgive that is a holy exhale where you are no longer holding on but letting go and exhaling and breathing out. And that's a mini death. And at times it doesn't feel mini, it just feels like death. But we can do so because we trust in a spirit 
that'll give us back life as we do so. So as you sit with your own story, as you sit with your own life, where is the story of the Spirit within your own being? What is the invitation of an exhale to lay down your hold on your own pursuit of power because it's protected you, because it's provided for you, perhaps at times it's granted you privilege, perhaps it's been a hold of fear, but perhaps the invitation is to exhale Where is that invitation to inhale? To Instead in this, Lord, I want to live life by the Spirit. I want to honor the death of the letting go. Because I want to live in this life that receives the trust, even in the surrender, that the Spirit is going to move and show up in my body. Because I follow a Jesus who pioneered and perfected this. And if I fix my eyes on him, I can see what this looks like from birth to baptism to anointing to testing to a life of healing and miracles to a life where I have to carry the cross to a life where I will be placed in a tomb. I can trust that the spirit of the living God will sustain me through it all. Christ Jesus, give us a glimpse of what this looks like. All of life right here in the exhale and in the inhale, in the breathing out, and in the breathing in. Where are you inviting us, God, in our relationship with you to even exhale, to let go? Where you can say, I got this. You can let go. My daughter, my son, you can let go. Your chest is tight. Your breathing is labored. You are suffocating. You can ease your shoulders and you can let go. Trust in the exhale. The inhale is coming. In your relationships with one another, where may you exhale? Exhale.